Welcome to That's Rap, episode number 20. Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 20. Today we are talking about the Danish film The Hunt, directed by Thomas Vinterberg, and we're going to give you uh, some random recommendations in segment number two. Uh, this is That's a Wrap podcast. If you want to give us some feedback, you can email us at feedback at that'srapshow.com. Go to our website, that's a rapshow.com. Hit us on Twitter, rap podcast. And remember that uh, the word rap has a W at the beginning. So for That's a Rap, I am Eric Marshall. And I am Nick Schlegel. And I'm Chris Cullen. And we are three guys with PhDs who like to talk about film, media, culture, and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, so this is the segment that we call Pickups, which is basically where we chat for a minute, catch up on uh, whatever's going on, uh, stuff like that. So... Uh, First of all, just a quick piece of business. Our previous episode on uh, where Nick and I talk about True Detective and her uh, was very well received. A lot of downloads on that one. Um, during that episode, we'd only seen the first six episodes of True Detective. Now all eight are out. I think Nick and I have both watched them. Chris has watched most of them. And I don't really want to, I don't know if we should get into it, but um, I'm just going to say that I'm really satisfied with how it ended. And uh, the last two episodes did not make us look like total idiots. So that's good. Agreed. Uh, I, I was completely satisfied too. There's an interesting post from Paul Schrader on Facebook because he just finished it too. But he did a binge watch. And, uh, yeah, he was very complimentary, too, and had a couple other things to say. Did you? Did either of you see it by chance, Paul Schrader's comments on Facebook? I did not. No, not yet. Oh, they were good. They were good. Um, but, yeah, he was, he was quite enamored with it, too. Um, and, you know, teaching a, a noir class this semester, we've been talking about True Detective in class, too, because it's quite popular right now. So, yeah, Eric, I agree. Uh, I, I thought it wrapped up really well. Yeah, it, it really, for me, um, begs a review. I want to want, rewatch all eight episodes in, in quick succession one of these days soon. Yeah, not a bad idea at all. Yep. Okay, good. Uh, what else is up with you guys? Uh, for me, uh, I can just, I, I never start with pickups, so I'm just going to start and say there's nothing new. <laughs> How about you guys? I have something new to report in that I have nothing new to report. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> no news is good news, I always say. Chris? I'm I'm gonna stay with the status quo here and uh, and and say nothing nothing new it, nothing nothing really new right now. Excellent, nothing to report. Um, yeah, we're at that time of the semester I think where that's just the case. You know, we're just we're grading, we're 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 teaching, we're kind of waiting for the winter to thaw out, and you know that's that's it. So um, I haven't been to the movies lately. I haven't seen anything. <laughs> it's been terrible. I got a new pair of snow boots. So, oh, nice, nice. Yeah, Clearance? Uh, no, unfortunately <laughs> not. Uh, but uh, they are they are warm, so that is that is the excitement in my life right now. Uh, I have a new pair of snow boots, and I just got my latest issue of the Atlantic Monthly. So oh. I am I am living a very very exciting life here. <laughs> Sounds great. I saw the Lego Movie. I don't know if I had seen it when we recorded last or not, but that was really really good. So you had. Yeah, I think I had to. So, okay, so let's keep this short then. Uh, let's just let's just move into segment one. Yeah. 
Let's roll. So segment one uh, of That's a Wrap, number 20, is The Hunt. Uh, this is an interesting... Uh, this will be an interesting episode for us because all three of us watched The Hunt within the last 48 hours, I believe. I know I watched it uh, two nights ago. Chris watched it yesterday. Yep. I started it two days ago and finished it yesterday. Yeah, so um, I had heard about the film through an interview on NPR, and then Nick brought it up um, wanting to do a podcast about it. And uh, Yeah, you know, I did, Eric, and I just wanted to interject really briefly, but I had heard about it from Kimberly Lindbergh's uh, from from uh, Movie Morlocks over at TCM, and, uh, and of course, her, her um, uh, website Cinebeats as well, and she had, you know, said some really positive things about it through social media. That's how it came to my attention. Okay. Uh, so, it's one of those things that Usually, when when one of us recommends um, an episode, one of us has seen it. But when we decided to do this, none of us had seen it, right? right. And yeah. so now we all have, yay! So um, for those of you not familiar, The Hunt is a uh, it's a film that came out last year. It was nominated for best uh, foreign picture or whatever that category is in the Oscars. Best foreign language and, film. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> best foreign language film. <laughs> I knew it was something like that. It was nominated. Um, it came out last year, and it's about a man who is, um, and this is not a spoiler, is uh, wrongly accused of of uh, sexual child sexual abuse, and uh, it's not a spoiler because it's really the premise of the film. You know, very early on that he is innocent, and uh, the film kind of chronicles what happens after he's accused, uh, more or less. That's I think that's that's good for the premise of the film. Uh, we will be doing spoilers on this. Uh, we'll try to keep it spoiler-free for the first maybe 10 minutes or so, but then we're, we will move pretty quickly into spoiler territory. Um, not that there's much to spoil, but um, right. we, we will be talking about the last scene of the film. So if you if you like to uh, go in, you know, kind of blind and, and uh, whatever, then you should uh, wait to listen to this, but... Uh, mostly it'll be safe for you. So uh, what did you guys think? Nick, since you brought it, what did you think about the film? Well, you know, I had it had been talked up a bit, but not like crazy enough to the point where you're going to be let down, you know, or, or expectations might not um, might not be met based upon buzz you've heard from, from people you respect and stuff. And I was, frankly, really, I found myself um, really, really enveloped in this story. Mm-hmm. Um and my reaction to the film was extremely positive. I thought it was excellent. Um, I just, you know, it's a, it's a, phew, I mean, it's it's a powerful and potent film. That there's there's no question there. It, it's it's not, it's you know, there are moments when I think, you know, because of the level of realism that's achieved, um, it's a very, it's an un, it's an uncomfortable film to watch because of the sort of mob mentality that can that can uh, that can quickly you know rise out of any given situation you know a, a mob doesn't think as Spencer Tracy famously said in in the in fury you know and uh, that's kind of what you know one of the themes of the film is is sort of the uh, the angry villagers with the torches and the old universal black and white you know horror films of the 1930s or or the how quickly people in South Park or The Simpsons, you know, bandwagon instance start rioting, and right. I mean that's kind of one of the major themes of the film, and it's done extremely well, and makes for a really uncomfortable but 
very um, honest, I think, uh, look at, at human behavior. You know? I agree. I, I, I think that they do this really nice parallel between the villagers, you know, where, where you know, obviously from the title of the film and the type of society that these people live in, it's, you know, hunting is a very, very big deal in this society. Um, you know, the main character, Lucas, is part of a hunt club or a hunt society. Um, they, you know, getting your hunting license is a rite of passage, like a, a bar mitzvah or a quinceañera. It, it's regarded very, very highly. So Vinterberg draws this really nice parallel between um, the types of people that they are, hunters, and then you know when they turn into this mob mentality, um, you know they they kind of are becoming the wild animals that they hunt. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a that's a really good uh, good analysis of the film. Uh, yeah, there's one shot in the film where uh, someone kills a deer, and it's kind of it's a little bit of a surprise to me because you see it walking around all of a sudden it's dead, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, a lot of it takes place outdoors and, and, and with a lot of, like you said, a lot of hunting. Um, I, I also thought it was a very powerful film. Um, I, the first, like the setup is really good because you know, what it's about going in, um, but you're not sure how it's going to, how it's going to come across, you know, how, yeah. how he's going to be gonna get there. How they're going to get there. And I think that they do a really good job of getting there. Yeah. Um, to to where he's uh, suspected and then accused and 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 all that it shows how his life really breaks down in a lot of ways you know based on these uh, the other residents of the small town. Uh, once you get past that, I have some I have some problems with it, and we can get into those a little bit later maybe. But mm-hmm. um, but overall, I thought it was a it was a good watch. It was a good film and well, uh, very powerful. And the subject matter. I mean, I didn't know a lot about the film going into it um i'd heard about it i knew basically the premise but when you're dealing with a subject matter such as you know pedophilia or you know you you have to tread so carefully uh you know it it made me think back to the film the woodsman with kevin bacon you know who is uh about a you know about a a pedophile who's just gotten out of prison Mm. so you know the content when when you're dealing with something that is so sensitive um you have to tread very carefully, and that's what I was really curious about: is how they were going to address this type of subject matter, without it being too um, over the top. Uh, and there were there were a couple of things that I thought were a little curious. Um, we can get into that as well. I'd have to kind of disagree with you, Chris, on that one. I think in Europe there's a tradition of not treading lightly on these types of subject matter. Even pedophilia? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially in Scandinavian countries uh, where sex is, you know, that's part of the, the public education system from essentially just a few years older than kindergarten going forward, and therefore they have much lower, uh, st- you know, statistics, much lower rate, uh, rates for oh, STDs and um, teenage pregnancies, teen pregnancies yeah. and... and um, and other things, I, I I think like particularly with you know Sweden, um, there is a long long history of, with their entire exploitation um, uh, industry uh, in cinema. Uh, not I'm not talking about pornography, but just your basic exploitation film in Sweden uh, in particular. That their um, yeah taboos I don't I think are are not really uh, treated the same uh, in sort of a, a sort of writ large European approach to filmmaking as they are here in the States. I think here 
I think you're absolutely right. You have to be careful because right. the the second you start to go into territory, that's. I mean, I was just hearing on the news today that uh, somewhere in the in the country, there's a movement to get teachers to stop using red pens to correct papers because it's too, it's seen as too um, hostile. Um, <laughs> really? Yes. I just heard that on the news today, and I thought. My God, we've, we, we really have gotten there, haven't we? At any yeah. rate, um, uh, no, I agree with you, Chris, that it, you have to be careful. But I, I think that's why this film is, first of all, I, don't, I think it is careful. You're absolutely right. But I don't think that they have to be that careful uh, in Europe with regard to this. I think they have the permission slip, basically, to do what they want. That's just their tradition because they've always felt a film as much, you know, particularly in France, it's always been much more of an of art. Right. No, well, I, I, I see what you're saying. stems from, from Europe because, I mean, they considered it to be art more so than here in the United States where it was considered to be a commodity, you know. Yeah, I would say that um, about the red pen thing. Actually, when I went through uh, teacher education in the 90s, they were, they, were, they were talking about the red pen thing. Don't use red pens. It's harsh, you know. So that's, <laughs> yeah. I just but, thought um, it was a primary color and easy to see. <laughs> having yeah. uh yeah. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of Norwegian, Scandinavian, Sweden, Danish films. Um, I, you guys, Nick, you might remember I applied for a Fulbright to Norway once, sure hoping to study Norwegian film. Um, and um, I, I've never been there. I don't know the culture. I didn't get the. I didn't get the. Um, the fellowship, but yeah, generally speaking, I think Europeans have a more uh, kind of liberal uh, sense of sexual matters at least in the rating system and their cinema but it's still a, it's not like pedophilia in particular is something that people are I don't, I don't know how openly people talk about it and I think that the reason this film is probably nominated for best foreign language film is because it's still a very fraught um, topic you know it's right. not it's not a casual topic that one talks about perhaps at a uh, at dinner right but right I mean I yeah I, I know I definitely no, I mean I've I've been to Europe too. I know that they have very liberal moors when it comes to to sexuality. Um, but yeah, I mean I I think that when it comes to something like pedophilia, um, and you know, and, and something you know like like this where you have an adult man who's accused of of abusing um, a kindergartner, I, I I just I even in Europe. I, I don't know if that's something that people just talk about, uh, you know, like you said, over dinner. Yeah, and also, and uh, I think that the other aspect of this that might be difficult is not—it's not dealing with the subject of pedophilia. It's the dealing with the subject of being falsely accused of pedophilia, right. and I think right. that goes across cultures too. Because when uh, when a young child accuses somebody of something like that, you you want to take it very seriously, obviously. Um, but it is true that kids make things up from yeah, time to time, absolutely. right? And so right. you can't – and it's a very difficult thing. I know that all three of us have uh, stayed away from, for example, publicly commenting on the Woody Allen scandal that's been going on in the last month or two. And I, and I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole necessarily. But that it, it's the same dilemma of do you believe the child or the adult, you know – remembering from 20, 30 years ago because it's a child and because you want to believe it and it or not because you want victims to speak up. Well, uh, you know, it's a very serious thing, but, you know, so tackling the subject matter of being falsely accused is, is tricky. It's got to be tricky no, ma no matter the culture, I would think. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you have to be brave and be bold like 
like South Park, for example, and not be afraid or timid to 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 do these things. I mean, the the artist in you has the ability to to say the things you want to say. You know, now if people don't want to see it, that's their they can exercise that right. That's very well. true. That's very um, true. So, and I think to Chris's point that Vinterberg was very careful in this film and and, and treated it, um, no pun intended, with some kid gloves, but also wasn't afraid to 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 really you know. Um, show our, our propensity for evil and, and our, uh, our ability to uh, go down a rabbit hole without really thinking about things or, or even bringing evidence into the fray. And it, like, like Eric was just saying, for me, the film immediately reminded me of like a couple of things. And one was obviously the crucible it was, was Miller's crucible. Sure. Um, it was, it was, it, it shared a lot in common with that. Although of course, crucible was written in response to the, to the house on American, uh, activities com- committee um, and McCarthyism writ large, and sort of a return to you know the Salem uh, witch trials, and of course that t- t- ties into the title of the film, like Chris was saying earlier, the the hunt, and just put the word witch hunt, the witch in front of that, and you've got you've got another an- analogy. The other thing it reminded me of was capturing the Freedmans. I don't know if you guys have seen oh, yeah. capturing the Freedmans, but mm-hmm. uh, the way in which um, uh, Adolescents and sometimes pre-adolescents will, as Eric said, um, uh, bandwagon onto something, create you know from their imagination a story that they they will tell and then have a hard time remembering whether it even happened or not because they're beginning to believe their own lie. And the film talks about that. It even brings up statistics in a very good scene about that. Uh, not statistics, but you know, yeah. it gets it gets a little clinical for a minute. Yeah. Uh, the, you're talking about the scene where uh, that man is interviewing the young girl, the guy with the beard. No, um, uh, the scene no. when it's in his godfather's home. Um, no, oh, okay. Yeah. In, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 You're right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why I would even think it was that one. Um, the, yeah, they're talking about because yeah, because he's explaining it to um, the main character's son, son right? Marcus, where yeah. and he's yeah, he says you know, you know, you want to believe the victim or the you know, the accuser, but kids do make things up. So where do you go? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, and, and to kind of talk to that, that was very interesting of what, uh, you know, two points going to your point, Nick, about where, you know, we want to, we want to believe the children, but children lie. You know, I, I think that was a kind of a genius part on Vinterberg to cast Meds Mickelson because of the fact that he doesn't look angelic. He, he, he looks like yeah. he could be creepy. You know, and not to say that he's got the child molester look, but he looks like he could be creepy. He's got the oh, eyes. He's that's got a great that, point. That blank face. But the other thing that I thought was interesting is that the only person who believes Lucas is that Lucas is innocent is the one person in the town who is uh, the wealthiest. Yeah. Which I, I thought was I thought was really uh, you know a, a really interesting point. He's educated. He's wealthy. He comes from a good family. Yes. He's not a, uh, I, guess, I guess you could say he's not like a blue-collar um, lumberjack type that right. the, the rest of these people are. He doesn't go around hitting people. Uh, he rationalizes it. He stays calm. And he says, come on, this is ridiculous. Of course, he's, he's, he's innocent. And even Lucas's best friend, can't, who, who is kind of that, that lumberjack Danish you know, <laughs> yeah. type, you know, he, he, he can't. You know, and of course, that's you know Clara's father, but he can't 
He's just like he, you, you, he you doesn't have to know, but he he's much he, he's my much, daughter doesn't lie much quicker to to go down the road of yeah. belief than than the, his uh, other very close friend and godfather to Marcus, as you say, Chris, you know, rightly so, is the more educated, um, and more wealthy uh, individual in town. He's got the huge estate, and you know, I mean, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, um. So yeah, I, I guess going back to what I was saying is it, it, the film did bring up other texts, similar texts. Clearly, the Crucible and and capturing the Freedmen's uh, came came to mind. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that's a yeah capturing the Freedmen is great because that's a, that's a documentary, mm-hmm. but it's a documentary that revolves around something that is ultimately unknowable. Right. Right. These accusations. I remember seeing that at the in the theater and being very puzzled by the whole thing. Uh, but I can't think of very many other films that, that deal with this, um, which, which is, uh, I think, you know, it says something good about this film. You know, it's, it's, it's unique in that sense for sure. Um, I guess one other would be maybe, um, Vinterberg's early film, the celebration, which, oh, um, yes. yeah. right. from, was that like 97 or something like that? 98. It's, uh, but that's, um, you know, it also deals with child sexual abuse and accusations, but um, becomes confirmed there. But um, you know, Vinterberg. I don't know if you want to move on to this or not, but um, um, I, I want to interject something really quickly because mm-hmm. Eric, you said something, and let's come back to what you just said. But you said I can't. You can't think of many films um, similar to this. But and as soon as you said that, I thought of there's something about Amelia, which I'm just looking up right now as I speak to you. You guys may not. Film. Well, you guys may not remember. You may not remember it. I mean, because of our age differences. Even though there's not much between Eric and I, but um, that was a made-for-TV movie with Ted Danson, and <laughs> I'm trying to remember uh, her name. Uh, it was quite. Uh, it was a made-for-TV movie about about sexual abuse between a father and a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it, it, it then it goes to show the climate in the the you know mid to early. 80s was I think they were a little more uh, open to embracing these subjects and then almost with the sort of like after school special um, moral running through them you know uh-huh. so that you could talk about it the next day in class I don't you know with with the sort of like broad spectrum of of uh, entertainment today from you know your your those 10 million cable channels to what's on the internet and stuff like that. It just doesn't seem like that's the case anymore. And uh, I'm trying to find the, the link to something or something. Yeah, but the, I guess the fact that we have to go so far back though, right? No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no you're misinterpreting. I'm saying that I'm trying to draw a comparison between what was socially acceptable to talk about. On, oh, I see. On a made for TV movie that everybody right. that was going to get strong Nielsen ratings, you know, I see. Yeah. to how we're like really touchy feely about it today. Right. What's happening yeah. in culture that, that has, you know, made us so much more hypersensitive to something that we were much more willing to talk about. The more we don't talk about it, the more we demonize it and make it taboo. Uh, so, I mean, the more I think we talk about things, I mean, the better we are as a society. Well, I think just to that point, Nick, I mean, you, you, you have, if you, if you said this made for TV movie was during the eighties and, you know, and we were more willing to talk about it because I, I don't think it was in our face as much. I mean, you have to remember with the, with the advent of the internet, it, it completely changed. I mean, obviously it changed everything, but it really changed how people who are involved in pedophilia and who have um, those proclivities, it, it, 
it completely opened up their access to things like child pornography and child endangerment and luring, you know, luring a four, trying to lure a 14 year old girl to have sex with a 40 year old with some, you know, Mike's hard lemonade, things like that. You know, those, those, those stupid things. Um, and now that it's in our face more, you're constantly hearing about people who are get, getting busted for uh, trying to have sex with a 14-year-old over or, or over over the internet, act, you know, accessing child porn. Oh my God, so, you know, some doctor or lawyer was accessing child pornography. It's uh-huh. it, it's in our face now. Here's with the, the thing, internet. Chris. I think you make a great point that I want to make here is that uh, something about Amelia was like very you know sensitively handled. Uh, it was, uh, t- you know, Ted Danson at the height of his popularity with, uh, in, in Cheers, acting with Glenn Close and Roxana Zal is the girl that's abused. Um, and, and it's treated with such sensitivity. It's not an in-your-face thing like you were just saying. And, of course, yeah. what is it in the film, and I'm, this isn't a spoiler, but what is it in the film that gets Clara to, to associate her momentary mm-hmm. anger with with mm-hmm. Lucas over his rejection of her uh, and the fact that she's um, associated that with a brief image of pornography that she saw f- from her older brother as he was walking by and being on the there. iPad right yeah. so I think you're making the, the point that I think I'm trying to make as well which is back then when something was talked about in in sort of in a discursive way as opposed to just being boom you know it's like disseminated and hits you in the face in a way today that we have in our culture kind of like you know it 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 really does say a lot between 1984 and 2012 or 2013 right yeah i yeah i agree and the scene you're talking about is really is really important because the brother and and his his uh, other teenage friend were watching porn on the ipad and they run past her very quickly like in the hallway mm-hmm. and one of them's like hey clara look it's like a rod or something like that talking mm-hmm. about this guy's erect penis which is obviously we all know completely inappropriate to do to a five-year-old but whatever <laughs> that, that happened you know teenagers and then they run away and that's the end of it there's Jeez. it's it, it the, the scene lasts maybe maybe a minute seconds, yeah yeah and, oh, that, yeah and that part of it is maybe uh her them showing it to her and yelling is maybe 10 seconds 15 seconds and that turns later into her as you said nick saying uh something about lucas's rod because she's mad at him because she feels like he's spurned her because she's got this little crush on him and it seems very innocent you know and and not at all um vindictive you know and the girl obviously has absolutely no idea what she's saying and what it means and what it could mean right and once you get past that it's all about the adults yeah you know, it's all about the adults, and it's all about that woman that he works with who she tries to bring it up slowly, and she wants to believe the kid, and she brings that other guy in. And this is the yeah. part that, to me, gets really – this is the creepy part in a way because they're interviewing the child, and she doesn't want to say anything. And she even – I think might even say that she didn't say that or, or that she was making it up or something. She might have said that during that interview. But she, I know she said it later. Well, she does say it during that interview, and then Gre- and then Greta leads her on. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah, the part yeah. that gets me is that they're saying, "Well, did he do this? Did he do that?" And they're leading her instead of asking her what happened and making it open ended. They're saying, "You know, when the guy asked, did white stuff come out?" You know, they're yeah. they're by asking the question, you're suggesting it. And there's this really interesting moment in that interview where she says, "I want to go outside and play." Yeah. And then the rest of the interview, you're thinking, "Well, is she just going to say whatever they want to hear? What she thinks they want to hear because she wants to go out and play?" Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You know, and 
and even when she does later say, I just said something stupid, I didn't mean it, people don't believe her. You know, like, that, that Greta has an abject response too. She throws up when he says did something yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that you know, then later on, yeah, later on when even she says to her mom, I it, I I didn't I just said something stupid, I didn't mean it, and the mom's like, oh well, you're just saying that now. She wants to, so you you start wondering about the investment of people in believing one thing or another. Why do they want to believe that about Lucas? You know, and there's this overlaid with that. There's this protectiveness, or not overprotectiveness, but protectiveness of the child, and it's it's. You know the way it happens in the first half of the film, and you you see it happening, and it's there's not you know there's nothing he can do about it, and it's just gonna, it's gonna spiral out of control, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and throughout the film, his innocence is basically reinforced, right? Quite quite a lot, and you get like you said the mob mentality, and it, it's really well done, and you get this like you know, do you lead kids on? How do you question them about these things? How much do you believe them? You know, kids can say all kinds of crazy things. Where do they get it from? And going back to the iPad thing. Mm-hmm. The the setup I think is is really really well done and and it it makes us ask all the questions that we're asking right now, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And the sort of level of, I mean, this film could have quickly devolved into something a little bit more exploitive. I think it had not been treated with such a, mm-hmm. a deft and mature hand. I think with the with given yeah. the subject matter, and for me, I think the slow descent into uh, Lucas's hell. Is so believable. It's not all thrown at you at once, like you said. The 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 townsfolks, you know, it, it's it starts. She even says at one point, I I don't think there's any question about whether Lucas did it or not. And it's like, wow, really? How do how do we get there all of a sudden? How do we get the yeah, it's it's absolutely just no jumps to that. It just jumps to that, and of course, then the the uh, uh, copycat mentality comes on, and all the other kids are saying, "Well, oh, that happened to me too. I want yeah. I, I don't want to be left out of the equation." Right. Um, so yes, it happened to me too, and and uh, I think to your point, Eric. For me, what what really kept me engrossed and emotional the whole film was um, was Vinterberg's. I think his his investment in that sort of realistic uh, depiction of a believable chronology. You know, of how yeah. it would go down. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't get, I think, too sensational. It, it yeah, very believable. Yeah, I was afraid going in that it would. It would be melodramatic or sensational, like you said. But it's something that you could totally see happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, just you know, when he goes into the store, even and uh-huh. you know, everyone yeah. says you're not welcome here, and then a butcher comes up and just clocks him. Yeah. You know, and, and but the the great thing is that you know when he 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 goes out, he they they throw him out of the store, and now, now we're he, into probably spoiler territory. I yeah, think. definitely. Is this okay? I, I yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you know, and, and but then he he doesn't puss out. He fights back. He goes in there and says, "I want my groceries," and headbutts the butcher. And I said, yeah. "Yeah, go, Lucas." You know, he he just he fights back. You know, he, he's he's and, and he fights back without having to say. It's almost as if I shouldn't have to say I'm innocent. You should know I'm innocent. I'm just going to fight back because of the, of the way you're persecuting me. Right. Yeah, the uh, the movie did lose me. Um, probably a little more than halfway through, it, it began to lose me. And um, what I think. Brought you back? <laughs> uh, well, the, the very. And then what the, brought you back? 
the very last scene I thought was really well done. I think he mm-hmm. ended it perfectly. Yeah. But there was a part, and, and I'm going to have trouble explaining this maybe, but it goes back to me, to, to Vinterberg's history in a way. So Vinterberg, as you guys know, was co-founded with Lars von Trier, the uh, Dogma 95, right? right? And the first Dogma 95 film was um, was Vinterberg's The Celebration, exactly. which in which um, somebody's accused of sexual assault and all that stuff. You guys know that already. And I, I've seen a lot of Dogma 95 films, and I really uh, agree with the aesthetics of that, um, of you know shooting on location, only using natural light, kind of eschewing Hollywood aesthetics to a large extent, uh, including narrative. Um, I, I, I thought it was a good, refreshing kind of uh, movement in 1995. Uh, both Lars von Trier and Vinterberg have moved beyond that and done different things, and I'm hoping that we can talk about Lars von Trier maybe in a future episode, maybe after Nymphomania comes out. But um, but one of the things that always bothered me about a lot of 95 films and this film also is that I feel like the lack of – in 95, there's a lack of script. They don't have a strong script. It's mostly improvisation. And Lars von Trier has continued that in his films. So I think Vinterberg has a lot of that in this. A lot of the films feel improvised. And there's something about towards the end – each scene seems to go on a little longer than it needs to, and it seems to lose direction for me. I feel like there's a there's a part where it's like, okay, I kind of get what's going on. I get that people are against him, you know, and I felt like it was foundering. And maybe I've been trained by the you know three act structure of you know very tight editing of most Hollywood films and a certain <laughs> narrative arc. It's I'm certainly willing to admit that maybe it's just my training, but I've seen a lot of European films as well that don't do that, and I've liked them. But there's a part of me where it dragged a little bit, where I was like, I started to not believe that the people in the town would act the way they were acting, and it really came to a head for me when um, in the church scene. When, oh. Yeah, when uh, Clara's father was like, I see it in his eyes. I see it that he's innocent, basically. And then I'm like, I don't know. I feel like going back to what Nick said about human nature, I feel like once someone decides that somebody is guilty, that person's guilty. I don't think people are going to say, oh, you know, it looks like he's innocent, so maybe he's innocent. I think that once you have that idea, especially with something as serious as pedophilia, you're not going to change your mind. And then there's this cutaway one year later, and everything's fine. Everybody's happy. Yay. Right? Um, But the way it ends, I I like the way it ends at the very, very end. But there's a part of me that I'm like, how did they get – how is everything fine after a year? Right. I I think that's a really interesting point with the church scene because it seems and I, I again I guess I'm just gonna give we'll just go into spoiler territory here. Um it seems like that um Theo's realization of his innocence seems to contradict what Vinterberg does during that last three seconds, four seconds of the film. Right, so yeah. yeah, I think that's a really good point because you have you know Theo and he he goes up to him and he he Lucas is just punching him, wailing away on him in the church, and Theo's taking it. And later on, you know, with he, he's starting to realize of Lucas's innocence, and then he's uh, goes on. He listens to his daughter, and he he realizes and he goes in as the peace offering. And then one year later, you know, you, you get a hint though of what you're saying, Eric, that. 
I mean, I think the whole point of that is, and I think it's the most important thing about the film, is that there is no exoneration from an accusation of pedophilia. You know, you have them sitting in uh, the Bruins estate as Marcus is getting his rifle, and you have the different people who they kind of exchange glances with Lucas, right? And then, you know, and, and those, those, those glances are not, we're glad you're here glances. They're still suspicious glances. And then, you know, when they go out on the hunt, you, you have somebody who takes a shot at Lucas and yeah. you don't get to see who the person, that person is. And they, they reload and then they run away and then the film ends. And I think that it's the most important part of the film that, that, Lucas will never get exonerated. No one, no one will. I mean, he will never um, be the same person that he was before this all happened. Because there are still going to be people, possibly Theo, possibly Theo's wife, who are always going to suspect that he was guilty in some way. Yeah. It, I'm going to have to disagree. I think with uh, with a lot of what you guys just said. Uh, in in regard, particularly with Eric. Um, I have to disagree with you. I think the plotting um, of the end of the second act into the third act is like for me it was spot on. I think the cards were stacked in just the right order, and the scenes fell just appropriately. So, um, you know, as a, as a, as a screenwriter, as a former screenwriter and a continuing screenwriter, I think that sort of like I don't know if we place our little our little pin down on the script somewhere in the chronology of where Eric's saying it lost him. It might be about the time they kill his dog. Is that what you're saying? Somewhere around there? Uh, after that. After that. Okay, so I after, would say after that, probably... he's taken to jail, which which just is, increases the stakes and raises, raises right. it higher. Right. His son's sort of floundering and taken in by the godfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, wait, wait, so I need you to tell me exactly where it started. Like, after the grocery store. Okay, the grocery store was... I was still there when the dog died. I was still mostly there. It was mostly when it was that church scene. It was, okay. and maybe, and maybe, let me, and let maybe me just, and maybe just before it. So Chris, Chris says he was pumping his fist in the air, going, you know, go Lucas when he headbutted the 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 asshole uh, <laughs> butcher. butcher butcher. Oh yeah, the, absolutely. The even more defiant act, the much more defiant act is to go to the church. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And it, it raises the stakes. It, you know, when he's yeah. putting his suit on or he's getting dressed up and it's Christmas, it says Christmas Eve. I'm like, you do it. Yeah. You do it. This is, you put these Christians, these good faith Christians to their, to the, to the tests and see mm-hmm. how you're treated. Cause it's, you know, it's going to be an incredible scene. And for yep. me, it was, I thought it was handled so beautifully where else, but in this, this, you know, scene where the, the the reverend is talking about acceptance in Christ's mm-hmm. son and dying for sins. Could he go and possibly expect to be treated with with some ounce of human dignity? And he goes in there, but of course his emotions betray him. He can't even make it through. Uh, all the kindergartners come out. Oh, and that's like the that's like the real like you know cherry on the Sunday from the yeah. screen from the screenwriting perspective. It's like how can we make this even more uncomfortable? Oh, I know. Let's 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 put the kindergartners <laughs> out there and sing the song <laughs> right in front of them, right? Yeah, and, yeah, I love that too. That and great. so I think he it's he goes into like emotional overload. He's yeah. crying. His you know he, it's been this has been going on far too long. He gets up 
And yeah, I think he relives the, the memories he's had with this guy his whole life. And he's saying, yeah, look in my eyes, look in my eyes, look in my eyes. Yeah, but what you're saying does not contradict what I'm saying at all. Because I agree with you that on Lucas's um, motivation for going to the church and the way he handles it, I agree in the characterization there. It's it's when the guy's like, he looks in his eyes like, oh, I see that he's innocent. We don't and, know that, though. He says, well, he goes, he says look I see in it in his eyes. Yeah. See what, though? I mean, well, you, I'm assuming he meant. Re- yeah, don't well, you look that, at though. Theo's expression, Well, you have to though. assume. Yeah, you have to assume yeah. because you look at Theo's expressions, open. and his expressions are not hostile. I mean, that yeah. that it, it it almost felt that was the one point in the movie that felt just a little Hollywood to me. Now, and, I, I, it sets up it sets up the very fact for the next scene, which is an act of contrition. It's an act of right. going. It's an act of you know on Christmas. You is know, that where he goes with the food to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sets that up. It sets up starts to set up resolution. I have to disagree with you guys. I mean, that, that does not lose me. In fact, from a writing standpoint, I think that that scene is, is really, really well-conceived. Um, to say that he has doubts while he's sitting in church while his best friend shows up and says, I can see it in his eyes, I, you know, and if we're assuming that he's saying, I can see innocence in his eyes, I, I don't think that that's a stretch. I mean, if I had written the script, I'd be arguing, you know, if we were the committee deciding whether to green like this, I'd be going, guys, I think I can't, I can't just... You know, I have to verbalize it. So maybe it's a little on the nose with the dialogue. I'll give you that. But it sets up the, the ending of the film, which I find to be, along with you guys, extraordinarily satisfying. When he comes back a year later, it's very clear that although they have, quote unquote, forgiven him, he's got a blot on him. That, that, you know, that's why he needs to get the hell out of that city. You know, he needs yeah. to leave that, that, yeah. that place. I yeah, thought that too. Yeah, and, I agree. But let's, know. yeah, I, I agree. I, I do want to just push a little harder on this just for a second though, because the way that the film gets him in trouble, the way that he gets into the, um, where, where he's not allowed in the store anymore and no one likes him and people are throwing bricks and killing his dog is a very slow, deliberate and masterful uh, pace. And it's a believable story mostly up to that point but i feel like okay the church scene and then the next scene he brings uh the the guy brings the food over to lucas which is a nice scene mm-hmm. it's nice like you see that like the the most conflicted character is clara's dad yeah. who is slowly going you know what i don't i've known this guy my whole life i don't think he did this and that's nice and that's a nice i like that conflict but i don't remember now maybe you guys can help me with this i think it's not long after that that you just get one year later and everybody's happy. It closes that scene, fades to black as Lucas is picking up the the grog or grug or glug or whatever he has to drink. <laughs> and then um it it then fades to black and then it fades up and it says one year later, and that's mm-hmm. when they're all gathering at Brune's um uh, estate for Marcus's um the hunting license uh, initiation, <laughs> yeah, party initiation, you know, yeah. shindig, whatever. And I guess that to me that was so fast. And I guess I think that's what it was. It, that from the church to his house to that to that scene is so fast. And I feel like the very very end with the with that shot hitting the tree, I thought was perfect way to end the film. That was the perfect. But, but to me, to to let us see him sink so slowly, and then all of a sudden. It feels like everything's fine. I guess now I'm starting to agree with you know, Eric, a more. I was going to say, if, I, if you or I were sitting in a script meeting, I would say my comment to you would be like, all right, so you're starting to say that I've been losing you in the last 10 minutes. So to now 
turn it around and create more scenes to get us to this, the ending would be mm-hmm. even more wasteful, I think. I think to sort of like end it mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve like that yeah. is probably the I mean, for the purposes of the story they wanted to tell, the best thing yeah. to do because now to see little acts of random acts of kindness towards him, like you know maybe someone puts a pie in his in his uh, <laughs> mailbox or something like that, <laughs> like in blazing yeah. saddles or something. You know, like I yeah. don't. It just that wouldn't make sense either. So it seems like um, for me it worked. It was pitch perfect act actually. And and when when we do get that last shot, now I I will I will tell you guys my reaction to that was first of all. Because he has such light hair, you know, like wave, like it's like very, I don't know what's the word for it, you know, wistful hair. You know, like if you got the impression if he moved his head, his hair would move a lot, right? Yeah. Because when the when the bullet hits the tree, I thought the bullet had slammed into his head. So uh, that's what I thought. And too, I thought, Nick, oh my thought. god, you can't end it this way, you know. I very I thought, close, yeah. And but first of all, I knew something was coming. Again, yeah, I, the way know, he's I standing what, there and how long he's standing, you know something. You know happen. something's yeah. coming. I mean, it's, it's yeah. either good, it was just going to cut to a uh, you know a, a harsh cut to black and then the right. credits, you yeah. know, on this nice sort of pastoral scene, or something bad was going to happen. And so yeah. I think, but I didn't think it was that. And of course, when when he hits the ground and you know his glasses are still on and he's breathing and looking, and I'm like, yeah. okay, it must have hit the tree. Yeah, and it did, of course, hit the yeah. tree. Uh, and holy cow, man, that got my heart really going. Me and I have too. to tell you, I was tear teary eyed when he's burying his dog. Oh, I man. was too, Nick. I was with the I, rain coming down, and he the tears were oh. the tears were coming down. Oof. It's rare for me to cry at a film, uh, and especially in a minute. But yeah, when he buried his dog, and 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 when he went out there after the. The 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 rock flies through, or, or they yelled for mm-hmm. for for Fanny, and he says, "Oh, Fanny you will knew, come." Yeah, you know, I was like, "Oh no, yeah. they're not gonna kill the dog." And then he goes, and he sees the 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 thing, the the bag, and then they pull it away. That they str- not only did they kill the dog, they strangled his dog, yeah. and then he buries it. I mean, I was, oh yeah, I was I was really tearing up big time. It just like, you killed the dog. <laughs> uh, that was that was that was sad. Um. Uh, but yeah, I, and and I'm just I, the, the that very last shot scene. I I Nick, I'm totally with you. I thought the bullet hit his head, yeah. and then he was alive. And then I was trying to think, well, who 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 would have shot him? I I then then yeah. that was the next thing that was as the credits were rolling. I'm like, well, who? I wonder who would have yeah. taken a shot at him. Yeah. And the fact that they kept the guy backlit so you couldn't see him, and he was clearly he clearly could have killed him, yeah. and then didn't. Like that all was very like it, I mean the concision of that shot and what and and how deeply packed that shot is with with symbolism you know exactly what's going on he'll never be able to live the same in that town again he'll always be suspected there'll always be people right. who hate him that the way that shot plays out is so powerful yes that but the fact that I was still reeling from the year later thing and going, why are these people all like him again? Like to me, there is something that that if he can do that and pack a, a one short scene that much there i felt like he could have done that somewhere a little bit earlier to kind of ease me into the mm-hmm. okay now everything's cool you know that was the only part that got me because i just feel like going back to the mob mentality when you have a mob mentality people don't change their mind generally right right and when so. when in that scene when uh, clara is in the kitchen and he, she's like, oh, the lines and everything. And oh, he brilliant. walks, he walks yeah, towards. He picks up. That. I was waiting. I was yeah. just waiting for something to happen. So, so tense. For, 
for it's the father so or one well of the guys done. like, what are you doing? What What's going on? Yeah, I was just waiting. And, and it didn't. It, and it didn't. So and I think that was the beauty yeah. of that was that he said, this is ridiculous. I'm yeah, I agree. Pick her up. I'm going to carry her over the lines that she can't cross and set her down. And, you know, because that's just the way it needs to be. You know, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's so well done. Yeah, I, I agree completely. That's a great. That's a really good scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the in the scene when she comes over and wants to play with the dog, all that stuff. I no, I think. I mean, overall, I think the movie is great. I'm really glad we saw it. Um, that's only that one small reservation. And the other thing that I learned from this film is we need drinking songs. Yeah, no kidding. You know, I agree. I agree. I thought about that, too. I was like, you know, the three of us need to get together. We need to have drinking songs. Yes. Will Nick drink with us? <laughs> about the, rain, the reins of Castamere, Eric. That's a good one. <laughs> Don't get all morose on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we lack we lack drinking songs. So I think overall, I think the consensus for the three, three of us is that we all like the film and thought it was uh well worth watching and and really treated a a really difficult topic with um with deftness right deft not deaf <laughs> deft with a t um with and with a deft hand thank you and the maturity and yeah confidence yeah. and everything yeah yep and you know my my one reservation notwithstanding i think we all agree that it, that was uh it's a really uh it's a film worth watching for sure so yeah right. Yeah. Right. I agree. All right, cool. Um, does that wrap it up for segment one, you guys think? I think so. Good for me. All right, good. All right, cool. So welcome to segment two uh, of, of episode number 20 of That's a Wrap. Uh, this is the segment where we do something little. Today it's going to be random recommendations, just uh, things we've been doing. Today's the first day of spring, I think, the 21st of March. Yes. Um, so these are our recommendations as of the 21st of March. Who wants to go first? I don't care. Eric, you go first. Yeah. I'll go first, sure. No problem. So... Um, I've been immersing myself in House of Cards and True Detective lately. I haven't had time to do much else, but um, just yesterday I was I was on Netflix on my uh, PS3, just going around, and Netflix recommended a show called The Guild. Do you guys know this show at all? No. Um, no. Yeah, I mean, this goes under the category of Netflix knows better than us. So the The Guild is a is a TV series that's been on. Um, for like six years now it started in 2007 and being the nerd that i am you would think i would know this but i have never heard of it i've is never it, is seen it bbc it. no it's um i should look it up because i don't know what network it's on because you know netflix erases all um yeah. you know any kind of semblance of uh yeah they're agnostic you know. when it comes to like networks and yeah um it might be a made-for-internet thing, actually. Uh, I should have looked this up before I did this. So yeah, premiered. It's a YouTube uh, thing. It's 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 got um, Felicia Day, and and she's the one that drew my attention because she was in, you know, Doctor Horrible Sing Along Blog. Yeah, okay, I do yeah, know yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I know of it yeah. because it's a YouTube. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I haven't so, seen it. The what, Doctor Horrible? No, the Guild. Oh, the Guild. Okay, yeah. I so I've heard of it. 
Yeah, so um, I don't know anything about I seriously discovered this yesterday morning, and I was like, Netflix is like, you like Felicia Day, and you like silly nerd stuff. Here, look at this. And I watched the first episode. So all I've seen is the first episode for 2007. It's really amateurish. The acting is kind of wooden, except for her, maybe. It's... Um, it, it's edited really sloppily. It's it's the cinematography is not that good, but it is hilarious because uh-huh. it's about this online guild called the Knights of Good, and they're you know like this gaming guild, and and uh, um, you know the premise in the first episode is that one of the male character comes to visit the female character because he thinks they're in love because partly because she had accidentally put a semicolon instead of a colon for a winky face instead of a smile and (laughs) it's totally silly it's really really, it's really serious silly so it went six seasons and like i said i've watched one episode but um i'm willing to recommend it just on that because you guys if you remember my top five video uh top five television shows i had the it crowd in there that were to show like i like nerdy things i like things about computers and nerds and geeks and stuff like that and it's uh, i'm sure I, i imagine it probably gets better as it goes but um but I, yeah, so I really like it. So that's my recommendation is The Guild, which is available on Netflix. And it looks like it was uh, it was originally a uh, just a webisode thing. It's, uh, you know, on YouTube and, and, like I said, really amateurishly done. You know, it, it, if you like Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, it's got the same kind of feel to it, although that's a little slicker, you know, Dr. Horrible is, right. which is also another recommendation. If you haven't seen Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, watch that today because <laughs> that's great. I can watch yeah, that every day. I love day. that. What to, do, <laughs> oh, yeah. what to do during a strike. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that for sure, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's great, you know. So, um, so yeah, that's my recommendation. Cool, thanks. I'll I will definitely check it out. I'll check that one out too. That looks. I'm just quickly looking up a little bit about it, and it looks great. Yeah, looks absolutely fantastic. So um, nerds, how about you, Chris? Speaking of nerdy recommendations, I think I know what the genre of yours. Uh, I've got I've got a few. Um, okay. There's some good stuff coming up this summer and this year. I'm really interested, uh, and this is all the way at the end of the year at Christmas, but they've made a film version of the classic uh, musical Into the Woods. That opens up on Christmas Day. I'm mm. very curious about that because um, you know there, you know there was Rock of Ages. Uh, which was a couple years ago, but you know the the, the musicals kind of dried up lately when it comes to film. Um, there's not really been a lot of major stuff out, so I'm really curious about Into the Woods. There are a couple of sequels this summer that I'm looking forward to. Um, there's The Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and I I loved The Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I thought it was really interesting. Um, not the Tim Burton one, but the one that that that. Um, came out a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and then the, there's the Sin City um, sequel that's um, that's coming out this summer. I'm looking forward to that. And I I, I think even though it's it's gotten absolutely god awful reviews, uh, just for entertainment's sake, I may just go watch um, 300 Rise of an Empire. Mm. Uh, it got oh it got ridiculous reviews. It's, it's just silliness, but. Um, I enjoyed I, 300 was just fun entertainment so I I may I may go see that um and then uh, of course Orange is the New Black uh, comes opens the new seasons this summer so I'm looking forward to uh, I'm really looking forward to that is that is that what you expected Eric or what were you was there something else 
Oh, I thought you said you were reading a graphic novel or something. That you I am reading about. a graphic novel. It's uh, it's a couple of years old. Um, it's fantastic. It's called Fun Home. It's by Alison Bechdel, and it's oh. uh, it's very morose. Uh, it's about a a woman who, but kind of a memoir growing up, and she's a lesbian, and she realizes uh, her father, who committed suicide, was gay, even though they he was you know he had family a whole family and everything that was married and everything like that. So it's very well done. It's aimed at a directly, it is definitely aimed at, at more of an academic crowd. I think uh, just reading it, but it's one of the best graphic novels. I'm almost done with it actually. And it's, it's one of the best graphic novels I've read in years. So oh, cool. And I I'll can't definitely check that out. She did uh, Dykes to Watch Out For. Dykes to Watch Out For is her blog. Yeah, that's her website. That's her website. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I would, uh, if if you haven't read Fun Home, it's 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 a quick read, uh, but it's uh, very very good. Uh, so yeah, definitely check that out. So those are my recommendations. Nice. Very kind cool. of esoteric. Um, that leaves me. I would echo what Chris said in terms of uh, the horizon for spring-summer. I don't know a whole lot that's coming out. I am very curious to go see uh, Sin City. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Rodriguez and Miller let a lot of time lapse between the 2006 Sin City and the 2014 Sin City, an uncommon right. amount of time for a sequel to come out, which is all the more impressive that they got the majority of the cast back then. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to to illustrate some more of Miller's stories, plus the addition of Ava Green, which uh, Eva Green, who I adore, right? Uh, particularly her work in Casino Royale and in uh, Burton's Dark Shadows. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I had I was a big fan of the original, uh, primarily well because I love noir and I'm a Frank Miller fan, but I was really interested in the the transliteration process of how that film. Uh, so successfully sort of like Xerox itself from one medium into another um, uh, really successfully or I I mean it didn't it just did it in a way that was uncommon in terms of fidelity Uh, and um, so and I had written a I did a conference paper on it back then and uh, you know it's just it's it's an interesting it was an interesting movie going experience and being a fan of, uh, of the pulps and of detective fiction and of noir and of Frank Miller, um, and of the cast, too. I was a huge fan of, of the original and looking forward to the remake. Uh, not remake, sequel. Having said that, My Random Wreck is a film that I saw in the theater in 1983 called High Road to China. Mm. Um, it's uh, It was almost a compensatory thing. for. Uh, it stars um, Tom Selleck and, and Bess Armstrong. And... Um, some of our listeners may not know that Tom Selleck was was slated to be uh, Indiana Jones. I mean, his uh, he he was basically he had locked up the role, but due to commitments to CBS uh, for Magnum PI, it it became immediately apparent that he was not going to be let out of his contract. Much in the way that Pierce Brosnan had to pass on James Bond because of his contract to um, Remington Steele. So his first outing was this adventure film that he shot with Bess Armstrong that Brian Hutton, um, who was a director I always admired, who did, who did Kelly's Heroes and, and uh, Where Eagles Dare, uh, some you know, uh, really like, uh, expert uh, seasoned director for this type of film. They, they did it, and it was very successful. 
saw it in the theater. Um, it, the film kind of belongs mostly to Bess Armstrong, who who is just so wonderfully plucky and awesome in in the uh, uh, the female lead, uh, Eve Eve Tozer. Um, although Selleck, because it's his first, you know, real leading man starring role, he had been in films prior to this, but this was his first vehicle to capitalize on the whole Magnum thing. Um, and it, it's just, it's so, it, the look, they shot it on location in Yugoslavia, but in which, which, uh, the uh, terrain of Yugoslavia can double for a lot of different places. And it's just, it's, it's so much fun. I don't know if either of you guys have seen it or not, but no. uh, the, the IMDb... I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. The IMDb, I'll, you know, the, the, the synopsis is, a biplane pilot is saddled with a spoiled industrialist daughter on a search for her missing father through Asia that eventually involves them in a struggle against a Chinese warlord. Uh, it was based on a novel. It has an excellent supporting cast. Uh, Jack Weston is wonderful. Wilford Brimley's great uh, as her father. Robert Morley, uh, Brian Blessed. It's just, it, it, and the real star, I even said that Bess Armstrong outshines Tom Selleck because she's so good in it, but the real star is John Barry's score. It's my all-time favorite score from John Barry. Uh, it's the score that I would want buried with me if I was going to have a score, you know. <laughs> Does Wilford Brimley uh, hawk diabetes supplies while he's? It is long home. before his. No, he was probably fresh off of the thing. So I mean, he was. Yeah. So I. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's pretty. Yeah. I mean, I think he made the thing the year earlier. So I don't know Brimley's fantastic in it. Uh, he kind of steals every scene he's in as as uh, Bess Armstrong's father. It's set in the twenties. Um, it, it finally got a Blu-ray release about a year, year or two ago, uh, about a year and a half ago, which I immediately snagged. And I have watched this film, you know, many hundreds of times. Can it's, you repeat the title? High Road to China, 1983. And, okay, thanks. Um, it's just, just for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, I'll put a link to it. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's a personal favorite of mine. Highly, highly enjoyable ride that I would recommend to anybody with a pulse. I mean, if, if, if you're like, well, I don't like beautiful locations and I don't like action and adventure and I don't like handsome actors, then it's clearly not for you. <laughs> a lot of people do like that stuff. But. Sounds good. There's just some good recommendations. So, yeah, I didn't talk about what I'm looking forward to, but yeah, it's mostly Noah. You guys are interested in seeing Noah? Absolutely. Yeah, we should do a Darren Aronofsky uh, uh, episode, I think, you know. And, of course, the thing I'm most looking forward to is the Grand Budapest Hotel, which opens today. I'm very right. excited I'm about very Grand excited, Budapest. very excited, right, Nick? Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah. Well, as someone who spent three summers in Budapest, I have no idea if it has anything to do with Budapest, but I'll call them out if they get anything wrong. Well, I'm sure well it takes will. place in a, fictional, in a fictional Eastern European country. So. Uh-huh. Then why do they yeah. say Budapest? That's just the name of the hotel. It does take anyway, a fictional European country. Yeah, I'm yeah. hoping that we can see the film and maybe talk about Wes Anderson in a, on, a, on another episode as well. I'll but, be going to see the yeah. film next week. So oh, yeah? I'm, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm oh, pretty you excited. You have to it. text me when you're done. I'm dying to hear how good it is. I know. I'm. I'm gonna. Te- I'm gonna text <laughs> Nick. I'm gonna text you, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell everybody on Facebook that I'm going to see. Take the a film. bunch of selfies and in, in, of yourself in line with everybody else. And, and I, Nick, I have a beard right now, so I think that'll be perfect. Actually, Chris, your new haircut's really nice, man. Too bad, Thanks. too bad this isn't you know a video because 
listeners would be really fawning over your. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank, your, I just your, got your, I just got it cut today. Thanks. I I just got it cut today and and got home and zipped in the shower before I before we got in the the podcast. And it's I, very I, I, very, I like very Mads Mickelson. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks. But I've, I've got my I've got my beard and my my Warby Parker glasses, so I'm 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 definitely ready for a Wes Anderson film. Well, there you go. Well, who isn't really? You know. Yeah. Exactly. Who isn't ready for a Wes Anderson film? Hey, if you wanna um, if you miss something, we we uh, some of our recommendations. We'll put links on the show notes at thatsarapshow.com. Um, you can you can get a hold of us uh, via email feedback at thatsarapshow.com. Twitter rap podcast. We're on Facebook. All that stuff. Come uh, come weigh in on uh, Wes Anderson whether or not we should go see the movie and uh, and and do an episode about it or not and uh, about anything else. So. For That's a Wrap, I am Eric Marshall. And I am Nick Schlegel. And I'm Chris Gullen. And thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Cut. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.